Welcome to the Spy Cops Info Podcast. A podcast series on the secret undercover political police that infiltrated over a thousand campaign groups since 1968. Episode 25, preview to Tranche 1 Phase 3 of the Undercover Policing Inquiry, Welcome to the Spy Cops Info Podcast. My name's Tom Fowler and I'm joined as usual with... Chris Bryan from the Undercover Research Group. It's the first time we've done an episode for a while. We've been... Um, well, we haven't been away anywhere, but we haven't been doing episodes. But uh, next week is the uh, the next round of hearings. It's uh, still tranche one, but now phase three of the Undercover Policing Inquiry, which will be taking place from the 9th to the 20th of May. The first three days of the hearings will be uh, opening statements, which will be live on YouTube, which you'll be able to follow there. And then there's seven days of uh, in-person live evidence, which is open to the public. If you're not able to attend in person, there will be an audio feed that you can follow. We'll be there for, between us, we'll be there for all of it. Usually I cover everything. This time I've got, very sadly, got to attend a funeral on the day when Lindsay German is giving her evidence. Uh, so I won't be able to cover that. But Chris is going to be there, aren't you? I'm going to be... Well, I'm not actually going to be here that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, I'll be I'll be listening uh, on YouTube. Tom mentioned that, but it's important to know this time you can actually listen to it even if you live outside England and Wales. Mm. So um, for our international... Yeah, you may remember that previous uh, hearings, we just had like a written transcript, which you could follow on YouTube by reading it. Yeah, or couldn't follow more to the point, like, realistically, yeah. It was um, a very difficult setup which they'd created. Um, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's still going to be fairly opaque. There's still a 10-minute delay. There'll be no written transcript to follow. It'll just be the audio. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'll be live-tweeting as much as I can. So will Chris. So will um, Police Buys Out of Lives, uh, Campaign Opposing Police Surveillance, Undercover Research Group, um, if you if you do use Twitter, follow follow proceedings as they happen on there, and we'll also be doing another crack at our um, video reporting during the breaks, which will be on Facebook and YouTube and other places. Details to follow, or just yeah, you'll be able to see via our website or something. We'll we'll put a, a link up there. So this set of hearings is going to be a bit different. Unlike the first two, there's no one former undercover cops giving evidence. Um, there's one activist, and then there's a bunch of former undercover managers. That's right, yeah. Um, from, again, from the period 68 to 82, obviously the ones who were senior right at the beginning, um, they're, they're, they're dead, <laughs> um, basically. Which is, yeah, well, there's, you know the phrase, the only good copper is a dead copper. I'm very familiar with that phrase. In this case, it's a bit unfortunate they're dead, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, it'd been, it'd been good if they could have waited long enough to, you know, incriminate themselves by having to cough up some of their facts, you know. But So, yeah, we don't hear from the, from from Conrad Dixon, who formed the squad, or his number two, who became the number one, Phil Saunders, who probably, if you like, if there's anybody who's actually res- responsible, I guess, for the way the SDS ran from then, it would be those two were the, were the first two to, if you like, set up how, how things were going to go um yeah yeah the grim reaper denies us that opportunity but we are getting some of the others whether they're the you know what we'll get out of them is another matter but we've got some names right yeah uh, there's barry moss um 
uh, who was an undercover briefly in 68 as well. And Roy Creamer, who was, again, he was a, one of the originals in 68. He was a sergeant. He was the desk sergeant back then. We'll go back on to Creamer in a minute. Um, and then the others, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not privy to their real names because the other managers' names won't be released until, t until, until next week. So I don't know the other two because I'm, I'm not privy to the disclosure. Um, some reason so yeah yeah i am privy to disclosure but i can't say it as part of the being privy but there we go but yes next week um there there is a bunch of names there's a bunch of um uh of the yeah the, the, the handlers essentially that the backroom staff um the welfare officers the um the the people who, who were behind the scenes like some some of the others were in the field as well but the reason they're being interviewed in this section of the inquiry is about their their backroom role. But I think it's, I mean, Creamer is one of the more interesting ones. He he is. Uh, so Roy Creamer, he served on the SDS. Prior to that, he was in Special Branch, um, and he works. I think we think in, in in C Squad, which was the squad which looked into um, communists and other left wing groups. And he specifically self identifies as a as. A, as the expert on specifically anarchists and Trotskyists. Um, after his brief sojourn in the SDS, he got he was part of the Special Branch Squad which investigated the Angry Brigade. So this is why we'd heard of him before. Um, originally, uh, mitting the inquiry, they weren't going to call him as a live witness, which we, we protested against and submitted some... So, submitted quite a lot of documents. We've done a bit of research ar around Creamer, um, both sort of the stuff that was in the public domain, and also um, my colleagues who do have uh, access to the <laughs> disclosure. I think they've done some work on it, which I'm not, I'm not allowed to, to know about. But um, so it was a battle. We were quite surprised. I mean, I was shocked that actually missing an, in this occasion, Gate agreed with us and then and and, and called him. Um, so it's one of the very few occasions where we managed to persuade him to change it, his mind. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a really good thing that, that you did manage to make him change his mind. Um, and that is it's a sign that you can actually do that. But also, I find it like mental that you're somebody who, I mean, I, you know, self-describes as sort of Conrad Dixon's right-hand man, um, was not being called by the the chair like anyway i mean like why the hell did it take some of the co-participants to actually have to do a lot of research and be demanding for someone of that senior to be to be called you know what i mean yeah i'm not sure what the reasoning was why he wasn't going to be called i, I understand my as i say i'm not privy to the the latest disclosure i'll stop repeating that now <laughs> you're bitter you're not but bitter at all the impression i get that is that he was responsible for the sds as a manager in the sort of the the, the late seventies, but I'm not sure. We're not sure um, from from what I, from what I know. I'm not sure if he actually was in the SDS or sat above the SDS in C Squad or S Squad. I think basically it was under them. I think plenty of officers we will be hearing from. One of the ones that obviously we won't, as we've mentioned his name a few times now, Comrade Dixon. Oh, yeah. Early on, it was you know he was one of the few names that we did know about. Um, yes. But again, someone who, you know, um, and irritatingly died. He, he did die. And actually, speaking of him dying, he wrote 
his own obituary, um, which was published, is one of the few few documents which we knew way even way before the inquiry started. We had this obituary, which was published in the Times, I think, in the Telegraph, as, as well. Uh, it's kind of um, it, we, until the inquiry started, we didn't know it was self-penned. I thought I I suspected that. We, um, yeah, it has lots of inaccuracy inaccuracies in <laughs> which is kind of interesting you think about them all being liars and bullshitters so even from the very start the guy who started the squad he, he even lied in his own obituary which says something um there was a sort of few myths which we i mean that's all the information we had so we went with that one of the things was that he said he was handed half a million pounds and a free hand to form the sds um, as it turns out, from the documents being published by um, the inquiry, he had a budget of considerably less, of three thousand pounds back in back in nineteen sixty eight, uh, which is the equivalent of about twenty nine thousand pounds now. So, uh, roughly four hundred and seventy thousand short of the half a million he he bragged about in his in his. Um, that is terrible because I mean, I've spent years like repeating that myth because that's what we thought was the case at first, right? Yeah, I mean, we didn't have anything. We only, only could go on what, what you know. I, I suppose lots of obituaries of people are self-serving, a bit like autobiographies, aren't they? You know, you sort of twist the truth to your, you know, if you like that, if you, you're the sort of person who doesn't want to. But I mean, it was the basic. This has been the whole nature of the kind of finding things out about these undercover units and these undercover officers is that, like, you have a snippet of information which you kind of base things on, and then they turn out not to be the case, which is very frustrating because like you know you spent time like repeating that and then you're like oh hang on it's not that at all so yeah we know dixon apparently occasionally turned when he he went sort of undercover prior to the form forming of the sds dressed as a sailor and, <laughs> which you know in some ways gives you some kind of insight into the sort of the danger he thought he was under in those groups because like if you were infiltrating somebody dangerous you'd be mucking about in fancy dress but <laughs> The whole the whole sailor thing though he was actually after he left the SDS he, he wrote several he he done a PhD in some kind of sailing, um, maritime law or something. So, uh, so you can tell we're we're, we're keen uh, nautical enthusiasts. Yeah. We know what this stuff is, but um, yeah, something like that. But yeah, um, but as I say, his obit obituary is full of full of lies. There's one thing he he's in in 1968. <clears throat> There was an occupation of the London School of Economics, um, but it's basically a peaceful occupation. People just walked in. There wasn't, you know, well, there was. It was. There was no trouble there at all. Um, but according to Dixon in his obituary, he says Conrad Dixon led from the front, and when the when the LSE was occupied, he was the first up the steps and pro probably took charge of the telephone exchange so as to control press releases. Now, obviously, that didn't happen. That was total bullshit. And also, what does that even mean? He took charge of the telephone exchange to control press. What press releases? What the Vietnam Solidarity Committee? Or I don't. It doesn't even make sense. It's just bullshit. Oh, and he also claims he said he headed the intelligence unit for the Angry Brigade inquiry, and he said he discovered the. There was a one of the ways they arrested them was um, tracing the, some of the people they arrested through credit card and check fraud. That bit is true. 
Um, but that was not done by Dixon, as he claims in his obituary. He totally, he totally um, takes credit for that. And, and in fact, Roy Creamer, uh, in, a, in an interview, which is actually published in the Angry Brigade book by Gordon Carr, there's a transcript of his interview. He actually says himself that the, the officer in charge, Commander Habersham, was, was responsible for finding out the credit card fraud angle. Yes, it turns out it was a massive liar. Who would have thought it? I know, but it is, it is like telling, isn't it? The guy who founded it, you know, <laughs> couldn't even like write an obituary which was truthful. Mm. One more thing, which I find incredible, because he, he basically, again, painting himself as this man of action. So he said that he was told that he had to train to be a chief constable. However, he argued passionately, this is that is that it made no sense to transform a leader of irregulars into a garrison commander sitting behind a desk, but his superiors would not give his, give his way and he left the service to start a new life as a writer and academic. <laughs> However, um, the, his service record published by the inquiry states quite clearly he, he retired due to ill health. <laughs> just like not quite as romantic <laughs> no no it wasn't you know he basically he, he took the you know, early pension when he was 46 so we won't have to listen to any more of his lies though because he's dead but we will be in for some other people i'm sure we'll hear just as many lies most of them won't get a chance to have an obituary like put in the times and telegraph but they will have an opportunity to like try and cover their uh, themselves and their their previous misdeeds of what they come out with is over the next couple of weeks um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's likely that Creamer will maybe tell us a bit more. I don't know what he said in his written statement, um, but I imagine he will. The impression I get of Roy Creamer from re stuff that, that the interview that he done about the Angry Brigade, and is that he's a bit vain. So he we might get a bit out of him that he will, you know, he he will describe describe how it all was and how great it was and how he was the, the, the brains behind Conrad Dixon and everything. That's why you know, I'm hoping it would be something like that. <laughs> yeah, and let's hope he's really vain like the sound of his own voice. The ones that like the sound of their own voice are always the best. Yeah, yeah. annoyingly though, it's very unlikely that we're going to get him to ask him any questions about the Angry Brigade. Um, but it'd be interesting if we could, I mean, whether Dixon was really involved in that investigation or not. I, I mean, I'm guessing actually he just made that up completely, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? You like kind of though you think, oh, it's all lies, or maybe there's some truth in it, some connection, but then sometimes it's nothing at all. During the pre the first two phases of the inquiry, we heard quite a lot from former undercover officers that um, their behaviour and their conduct generally were uh, in line with what their senior managers were telling them that they were, um, you know, passing everything on to them and that there was complete transparency between field operatives and um, the backstage team. Um, I've got a funny feeling that it's going to be quite the opposite when it comes to what the, the, the management saying. Oh no, we relied on the instinct and you know knowledge and understanding of our field officers. Yeah, I, I imagine that they're going to be saying, oh, we just carried on what we what, um Dixon set up and we you don't know, you know kind of robotic way and we take no responsibility really. Inquiry Council seemed quite willing to take on face value that oh yes we'll need to speak to the managers about this uh, whether they like you know push them a bit more than they did I, it seems unlikely to me that they I mean, will. Yeah I'm, I'm guessing having again 
but they're going to be even more cagey. There's, I think there's a lot more room for them to say, I can't remember, didn't know about that. They can just say they signed thousands of these reports off without reading them through, I guess. Mm. They just trusted that they were accurate. Mm. That, I mean, um, one of the questions, I guess, will that will be put to them is like, did they guide, do they provide any guidance or training to the undercovers in terms of what they should be reporting on, how they should be reporting it? I suspect any answers will be self-exculpatory, <laughs> say it, and also not all very, very enlightening. But as I say, and yeah, dancing in the dark. We, we, yeah, we, we live in hope. Um, like the, certainly, uh, you know, something which came forward from a number of the former undercover officers was that when presented with reports that were filed in their name, they claimed that they hadn't written sections of it. That actually, that must have been done by the backroom staff. Yeah. So. Yeah, but yeah, we're not sure of the editing process. Uh, so, I mean, <clears throat> I, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah. So basically, the the, the, the sum up from the, the evidence that the police have given today is that no one's responsible for the reports, and I think that there's a lot of, I guess, a lot of wiggle room for them there. Yeah, yeah, but I think it, it, you know, though the um, illuminations may be few and far between, I think it's definitely worth following in whatever manner you're able to. Um, like I say, uh, the first few days will be uh, broadcast. That'll just be the opening statements. Um, that'll both be from the police side of things and those affected. Um, you know, I think uh, it, you know. At the very least, it, if, you, if you want to get irritated, you know, listen to the day one of um, what the police come out with, and then over day two and three, you'll be hearing from everybody else. So tune into that if you're able to. Uh, certainly follow the hashtag Spy Cops and hashtag Spy Cops Inquiry, which I think most of us will be using to, to follow events and report on things as they happen. Um, then, yeah, after Lindsay German, then it's, it's all previous uh, police employees, which, yeah... M as you can tell, we're fairly sceptical about how much information we'll get out of them, but uh, it will be... I, I was surprised last time that we got as much as we did out of some of the former undercovers that we did, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they seem to be going by a code. It's okay to grasp themselves up, but nobody else, because mm. one of the, the things which... I've just been rereading a lot of the um, transcripts of, of the um, P, P1 and P2, and it just seems incredible that they all hung out at these, these safe houses, which they did. They met there twice weekly. But the story that every single one of them, except maybe for Graham Coates, mm -hmm. told is they did not discuss their deployments. Um, and given that they were the only people they were actually allowed to speak to them about, it just seems ridiculous. For instance, um, Sandra, mm -hmm. uh, HN348, she... There's only one other woman on the squad while she was serving. Um, and she actually says in a statement she became you know, really good, close friends with her. But yeah, she also maintains in a statement that she never, ever spoke to her uh, about her deployment. It's just, I mean, I, and the thing is, yeah, so I, I find that very, very odd. It's, a, well, it's, it's not odd, it's a fucking lie, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that's what I was implying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking lie. They're fucking liars. But I mean, we knew that about them anyway, right? I mean, that's the one thing that we did know, know about them. And I, I guess that they're, they're probably the manager will, will sort of minimise their knowledge of what was going on. I think that was probably going to be there. 
Yeah, I mean, interestingly, you mentioned Graham Coates. He was very clear that the management were fully aware of what was going on and engaged with the banter along with the other um, and the field officers um, about like sexual conquests mm. and so forth. Yeah, in, in terms of like management knowledge, one incident um, which is published in. P2, because there's just so much, I actually only came across this. So you say P1 and P2 is right. phase Phase 2, yeah, so the, the two phases concerning the undercover officers, 68 to 82. So, yeah, um, we have this paper trail um, signed off by loads, loads of not only special demonstration squad managers, but special branch managers, and also right up the chain of command to the commissioner regarding uh, two miscarriages of justice, which involved the undercover no, the cover name uh, Barry Loder, who infiltrated the Communist Party of England, Marxist Leninist. Um, and basically, so he got arrested twice for public order offences. He used to quite a lot having scraps with the police, um, the, C the Communist Party of England, quite keen on that. Yeah, it is the Maoists, right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I recall um, Peter Haynes' testimony where he was talking about an anti Nazi league uh, demo, and he said, He's, he was recalling it was all very peaceful until some Mao Maoists in a van drove into the police line. That, I believe, was the Communist Party of England. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he got arrested twice. Um, it was probably, you know, he's done quite well only to get arrested twice by the sounds of it, to be honest. But he, um, both public order offences, and he was taken to magistrates' courts on, on those. And basically, both cases when were nobbled, uh, to use an old-fashioned phrase. Mm. So senior officers turned up at the magistrate course and spoke to... An, a, a, basically, who it was at the court is actually redacted. So it would uh, either be the clerk of the court or actually maybe one of the magistrates themselves. Mm. Um, basically, to ensure that their man um, didn't get sent down. Mm. Um, and, and the thing about this, one of the, the, they were trials and people pleaded not guilty... And obviously got convicted. So obviously miscarriages. As far as I know, all the defendants, including the undercover officer himself, are dead. So um, I think the case that the the the, 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 the case was referred to the CCRC. Uh, yeah. So one of the defendants in the court case, court case was a guy who was in the the party, uh, Cornelius Kaji, who was, if you're into a certain kind of intellectual music, which I don't really understand. Um, he was Stockhausen's pupil back in the late 60s and then he abandoned all that as being too bourgeois and took up um, writing, I suppose, um, well, at least as he saw it, Songs of the People, the kind of like ditties, ditties, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into judging whether, you know, I'm not, this isn't a music podcast, so. But anyway, but he was one of the defendants. Chris isn't a fan. I mean, neither am I, but. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting, but as I say, yeah, um, it is a so so actually one somebody who's actually a member of the party at the moment or the successor party applied to be a core participant but was refused by the chair, which I find a bit frustrating because I mean presumably he could have said he had an interest as the party did I suppose the party did have a an interest in the conviction being overturned even if the actual defendants themselves were passed away so you know. Because it's definitely like, I mean, one of the interesting thing about the documents is a that they exist. Because you would have thought they're doing something like that, you'd definitely shred them or burn yeah, them. Right, yeah, right. Which kind of like says like, you know, they didn't even do that competently. 
conver- you know, the conversation between the the senior officer and whoever it was at the magistrate was very for, on cordial terms. It said, "Is yeah, the the clerk, the the whoever it was from the court was happy to help." And it kind of sounded like that kind of thing happened all the time, mm. especially when there's the, an informer in the dock. They can you know perpetually getting off or lighter sentences so they can still inform on people. Mm. Uh, yeah. Dodgy bastards. So yeah, um, like we, we're probably in the on on in danger of starting rambling off generally over all sorts of things now. Mm. But um, probably rambling on a bit. Um, lots of other things have happened since we last did an episode. As I said at the beginning, we haven't done an episode for a while. There's a whole bunch of books that have come out. <clears throat> yeah, two books, in fact. Uh, Donna McLean's um, Small Town Girl uh, about her about her life and her relationship with. Um, the undercover cop Carlo Neri, Carlo Saracci. Saracci. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the other book, Deep Deception, is written by six of the women who, who also were involved in, in relationships with undercovers. Uh, and both books are very moving, brilliantly written. And it, uh, obviously, the, the subject matter is very anger making. Um, but. Yeah, the, the books are real page turners are really well written I can't emphasize that enough and I definitely recommend both books yeah yeah I mean both really I think essential um, essential reads for anybody who's interested in this topic um, and just both of them really showed sort of like over time the evolution of, of how things changed like um, yeah I really recommend both there'll be links to buy it for in the show notes recommend them both obviously, I'm a bit biased, but they are really great, well-written books, and I, you know, yeah, definitely something uh, for a general reader to, to get into. Cheers to the review, Chris. On the subject of reviews, we we could do with some reviews of this oh, podcast. Good segue, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> get, getting there slowly after how many episodes we've done. Yeah. So please, if you know, if you're able to, uh, once you like, with those books, once you've read them, if you can leave a review online for them somewhere, that really is helpful for getting the thing out. And like with this, if you could review us, that would be great. I understand that some people prefer episodes with when me and Tom have a guest. Thanks for that, Kate. But um, <laughs> but you know, but we actually we do appreciate that kind of thing. So if anybody has any criticisms of us or anything, you know, yeah, express them in oh it would be that polite to be perfectly honest we'll, we'll, we'll probably just take it I think that's, that's done now really anything else you want to add? no <laughs> oh yeah we're going to finish there and goodbye yes yeah, check out previous episodes of spycops.info follow us on all social media channels and follow the inquiry when it starts next week uh, it'll be good goodbye bye